Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Hello, Josh. How are you? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm fantastic, actually. Well, it's a little bit after Valentine's. Yes. Did you have a good Valentine's? Yes. Did you have something you wanted to ask me? No. Let me tell you about my Valentine's. (sighs) Okay, fine. (laughs) I actually surprised my wife for the first time ever in our relationship. Are you serious? Kept a secret. Oh my goodness. Tell me about it. Usually, I buy her a gift and I'm just like, here you go. There's no so waiting. romantic. <laughs> no waiting, no nothing, which I did this year too. I bought two gifts and gave her the first gift like normal, so she thinks that's it. And the second gift I ordered a month ago, which were a big bouquet of roses, which I've never got her flowers. Oh, my goodness. Because when we got together, she's like, I hate flowers. And then, like, December of last year, she's like, you never buy me flowers. And I'm like, Oh, goodness gracious, me? girls and their codes. You told me I take things <laughs> literal, you know. You tell me you don't like flowers, you're not going to get one. <laughs> so, you're like, I'm never going to take anything you say seriously ever again. No. So <laughs> I, I bought some flowers, had them delivered, and she told me, she goes, oh, here, the guy walks in the door with this nice big giant thing of roses and she's like oh great the provider got her flowers delivered by her husband and the guy's like oh is uh, jody moore there and he's like she's like for me oh that's <laughs> yeah. so great yeah she towed him around all day and then she got him home and uh she's got him put up and upstairs where she can just look at him josh i'm so proud of you yeah but usually i i spill the beans but this year i went a month without telling her that's fantastic and nailed it so i'm really proud of you i'm like yeah. great job so, yes. nailed it. If Jody ever says, don't give me that, I don't want it, you know, immediately she does. Yeah, immediately she wants yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I don't care if you get that or not, it's always code for, you better get yeah, it. Yeah, so we've been together 10 years, yeah. so that's 10 years without flowers, because you told me you didn't like flowers. Oh, that poor girl. You better get her a lot of flowers to make up for those 10 years. I know. What about you? How was your Valentine's? It was pretty good. Anything special happened? Sort of. Did you get engaged? Not yet. Okay, so what happened? Okay, well, we talked to the parents, mm-hmm. and he did the whole, you know, special ask permission, because he's a nice, romantic, old-fashioned guy. Well, that's good. Mom and Dad said, heck yeah. We all have, we both have children, and all the children have been told now, so everything's out in the open, and I'm just kind of waiting, waiting for the thing to happen, which is, um, you know... He's exceptionally good at hiding things. I have no idea what he's doing. If I was him, I would wait almost six months. Seriously, Josh? (laughs) You said unexpected. I mean, really. (laughs) Let you forget about it a little bit. Right. Well, I hope he listens to this and doesn't take your advice. (laughs) Greg, if you're listening, just draw it out, man. (laughs) He listens to every podcast, so he's definitely going to hear this one. I was engaged with Jody for two years before we got married. Yeah. I did get a diamond for Valentine's Day. Oh. Got a little diamond necklace. It's so great. That's cool. I love it. Awesome. So, yeah. So, he was like, I got you a diamond, but that's all. Cool. Awesome. So, all right. We are now, as you all know, into the second season of our award-winning podcast, Impact Stigma. So, this is our second episode for 2021, and this month is February, because obviously we're talking about all things Valentine and whatnot, but just so you all know... 
we're also celebrating Black History Month here at Frontier Health and with all of our listeners. So our special guest today is part of our Frontier Health leadership team. She serves as the Director of Adult Mental Health Housing for Frontier Health. She has played a pivotal role in the necessary conversation surrounding diversity within Frontier Health, as well as throughout our community and her community. Um, She is someone I personally admire a great deal, and I know Josh and I are both thrilled to have her as our special guest today, so please help me welcome LaTanya Colley to Impact Stigma. Hey, everybody. How are y'all? Doing good. Great. Yes, we're very, very happy that, you know, you're sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. It truly is an honor. You're welcome. I have to tell our guests, you can't see this, but one of the things I absolutely love about LaTanya is she has the flyest glasses I have ever seen. Every single time I see her, she's like got another pair of really fantastic eyeglasses on. So today, she has a really, really great pair. I don't know. What do you call that? Tor- like, tortoise. Yeah, tortoise shell. Yeah. yeah. They're really fantastic. They're like 50 bucks. I really need those. Yeah. <laughs> get them offline. I like you put, in your, you put in your um, prescription and they send them to you and you don't have to pay like $300 for your frames. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, the cheap way. No namers. And they look I'm great. always right. I'm, yeah. Every time I see you, I'm like, what is she going to have on today? You have this really great pair of red ones. Oh, I love those. They're so great. I love them so, so much. All right. Well, as always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you or someone you love has an urgent mental health need, please call us at 877-928-9062. And our 24-7 Frontier Health Crisis team will be there to help. If you, your child, or someone you know is in danger of suicide, please go to the nearest emergency room or call 911. All right, Latonia, so I've got what you call the appetizer session. Great. Yes. You know, we've got a couple warm-up questions for you. Good, I'm ready. And I know you don't know the questions I'm going to ask. Okay, no. Josh's are the best. I always give, I always tell you what I'm going to say, but he's the surprise. Okay, Josh. so. So, what is your favorite food to eat? Also, you know, be real specific. Not what kind of style, whatever. Like, what kind of food do you really, really crave and you want? Because you can tell a lot about a person by the food that they really love. My absolute favorite food is lasagna. Yes. And when I was younger, my brother used to call me Lasagna Latanya. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's my favorite. Oh, I love lasagna. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan too. Do you like it super cheesy? I do. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. with the ricotta and yes, the, oh yeah. yes. yes. The old traditional mm-hmm. kind is my mm-hmm. favorite for yeah. sure. All of that. You all pick it that. up and it's a string. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel you. Look. Now I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Thanks, yeah. guys. <laughs> we won't be here long, and I heard you have lasagna at home. <laughs> I so do. I do. <laughs> we can definitely. You know, you have that to look forward to for sure. <laughs> so I am going to ask you if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Okay. Well, they're definitely all deceased. Okay, and I would love to enjoy my lasagna with my grandmother. We called her Mary Fanny because she knows everything. Well, she knew everything about everything. And as I live my life out, I realized that she did. You know, her advice was way before its time. Also, uh, Prince would be coming over for dinner because he also knew about this thing called life. Yeah, girl. And I just would want to give Robin Williams a hug. Oh, that's such a good choice. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's hilarious. And such a cool guy. Yeah. Really. Definitely. All right, Josh. All right. I got one more question. Okay. What 
Mario Kart character would you be? Mario Kart? Yeah. You, you know, the crazy one that you play with your kids. when and are Like the Super Mario Brothers? Yes. Yeah, the Super like the like What the, Mario character would you be? I'm the Mario princess. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. I'm She's LaTanya. I'm always Donkey Kong. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I like throwing big bananas at people. Oh. Hitting them with it. I really do. That's what I <laughs> destroy my kids at home with it all the time. Oh, boy. What's the little green guy? Oh, shoot. Yoshi. Yoshi. Yeah. I like Yoshi. My, he makes that daughter, funny noise. My daughter loves Yoshi. Yeah, Yoshi's mm-hmm. my go-to for and sure. My, my son loves Wario. Mm. Oh, yeah. Evil, evil Mario. And mm-hmm. he, he, he just loves him. Yeah. I like him too. He's kind of cool. Doesn't the princess, when she gets angry, she throws little fireballs and stuff? She throws uh, mushrooms, which makes her goes fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Lasagna. Mushrooms. Mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Princess. princess. Yeah. It's all there. It's all there. I'm learning so much about you, Latanya. (laughs) And I'm learning so much about Josh. I like Donkey Kong because he's a bigger character. I'm a big dude. Yeah, you can relate. Okay. And bigger characters can knock out the littler characters and make them spin out just by hitting them. Yeah, so you can just knock me all over the place. So when my kids come driving up beside me, I'll ram into them and they'll spin out. Yeah, but throwing bananas are not nice. It's not nice, Josh. He doesn't care. Like, like his whole yeah. philosophy is, I'm gonna be, a com- I'm gonna teach my children how to compete in the real world. I'm yeah. Teach them to lose. That's right. As much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's fun to talk to him about his kids. Yeah. Yeah. Kids yeah. are fun. They kids are for sure. Last. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Ricky Bobby. I know it, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hey. All right, I have one more question. Okay. So, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self. What would you tell her? That's a good question. Oh, gosh. I need to ask that myself sometimes. Should we say this online? It is impact stigma. Okay, well, I would tell her, girl, slow down. You're doing too much, too fast, and you have the rest of your life to be grown. Be a kid. Amen. Pump your brakes. Yeah. Enjoy it. You know, that's what I would tell her. That's very good advice, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. I think I would have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Why in the world are you trying to grow up? Do yeah. you even understand bills? No. No, you she don't. She didn't. Mm-mm. Me neither. I was no. like, I just want to leave. If I could turn back the hands of time. <laughs> I'm like, I always say, I wish I could have my same wisdom and brain of right now, and then my 18-year-old body, that'd be perfect. Boom. Yes. There you have it. That's right. All right. I always love to hear different answers from all of our shared guests. So thank you, Latonya. That, that was, was so fun, much fun. Guys, thanks. Absolutely. So typically around this time in um, our podcast, we tend to ask our guests to share about what they do in their current role. We're going to go a different direction. Last week we spoke and you shared a tiny bit about your uncle and his life. And so I have a feeling deep down that what you do here um, has a lot to do with that story. So I love that story so much. And since part of what we are going to talk about today is how mental health stigma internally affects our black communities, with that in mind... Would you just briefly share about your current role with Frontier Health? And then can we hear more about your uncle and your personal story growing up? Absolutely. So I am the director of mental health housing uh, for the Tennessee side. And basically, I also uh, facilitate the CTTS grant as well. I would just like to say that it's just not about filling beds, although a good part of what I do is I like to fill beds um, and keep our group homes full with people who need our services. But it's more than that. It's about just the whole housing experience. It's about when we see a need, whether it has to do with housing or not, just um, making sure you can make a referral or or keep someone connected to some type of service that we have to offer. I just like to 
I think so much of our company, and I love Frontier Health so much that mm-hmm. I'm always willing to see what I can do to, to try to wrap our services around someone. So although a good part of what I'm, I'm paid to do is keep our beds full and make sure that the group homes are running smoothly and that everybody is getting that home experience and the group homes feel like home and smell like home, although sometimes they don't smell like home, but we like, you know, good smells coming from the kitchen Absolutely. and mm-hmm. uh, yummies and, and just the whole experience feeling like home. I love my clients and I love for them to feel like they're at home. All right, so what does the CTTS grant stand for? It is the Community Targeted Transitional Services Grant, and it's offered uh, through the Tennessee Department of Mental Health. Okay. This grant helps people with deposits for housing. It can help with some utility bills if there's need for dental work or um, maybe there's a need for eyeglasses. Anything to help you stay housed. And if if by chance maybe you have a history of substance abuse and that has been one of the barriers to you maintaining house, these funds could be used to help uh, one time per fiscal year an individual who is in our services. Mm-hmm with their housing needs okay so it doesn't cover everything but no. it gives you a good chunk of everything oh yes it, it doesn't cover everything but it definitely can help out awesome yes. all right how about your uncle well growing up i had an uncle and his name was uncle joe and uncle joe was a military man and after he did his time in the military he he was diagnosed with uh, with schizophrenia We weren't really sure what brought it on, but I was always told as a child that it was possible it was um, through maybe drug-induced or, you know, through an experimentation with drugs or possible use of drugs that brought it on. But he was such a wonderful individual. And as a child, I can remember he was the absolute best babysitter (laughs) a kid could ever have. Like, he could turn into Michael Jackson at the drop of a dime. And I mean, his dance moves were so smooth. And he and I would swing (laughs) on the swings. And then we would, you know, sing songs and do dance moves. And my parents they always knew that I was in good hands. Like he was, again, like I said, the best babysitter ever because they always knew I was in good hands when I was outside with Uncle Joe. Uh, But he was just so wonderful. And he was known um, in our area for being Mary Fanny's son. And everybody knew him. He would get out. He would not only just do his moves in our yard, of course. He would get out into the middle of Route 52 and be in the middle of the highway doing his dance moves and somebody would have to call my father and say hey you know your brother's down there in the middle of the road and he's getting a little close to you know being in danger so we need to you want us to bring him home or you want to come down and get him so uh, we would have to do that but the thing that that sticks out in my mind the most about him is you know I can remember my uncle my other uncle that cared for him he would he spent his day he would go down, he would be given a pack or two of cigarettes, and then we would give him, you know, about 40 or $50, and he would walk down to the pop shop and buy candy and cookies and cakes and other things he really didn't need because he was a diabetic. And he would would hang out down there and smoke his cigarettes and dance on the middle of the highway and walk through town. And I really just feel like a lot of his life was like that because my family just didn't have 
the information that we have today about activities that he could have participated in mm-hmm, or right. or things that he could have done, you know, other being around his peers, it would have been, you know, it would have provided him with, he had a wonderful quality of life, don't get me wrong, but it just, there was just so much more for him. And when you're raised up in a black family, which is a lot what we're going to talk about today, you know, a lot of times we try to keep a lot of things in the family and, right. you know, you try to handle a lot of things yourself and, and you know, you don't really want to reach out for help. Not back then in that time. And this was in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s that, that he lived. Um, we lived in Bramwell, West Virginia. But I mean, his life could have been so different, I do believe. And he would have lived a healthier life if there was just more structure there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a you know, a reflection of not knowing, not having the information, you know, and just my, my grandmother and our family just doing what we knew to do. Or the having the resources at that time that we have today. Right. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Or feeling safe to be able to talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that I would never be able to understand, but the only thing I could possibly relate it to is, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about what happens in our house stays in our house and y'all don't, you know, we don't talk about it and, you know, you keep everything inside. And if you're out there and you've listened to the podcast before, I mean, I've shared, my mom already knows she's a recovered alcoholic. So we didn't talk about any of that stuff. It was not allowed at all. Right. That's all I can, that's the only part of me that I can even remotely think of. Right. To relate to. So on a level completely different than that, where there's all of this discrimination and trauma from, you know, prejudice and, and racial issues all mix into that. Can you help me understand, you know, a little bit more about what it was like with talking about mental health issues within the black community and with your own community, within Absolutely. your own family? Absolutely. So uh, I was raised in a very, very um, religious family. And I'm just going to put it out there, you know, in the church, uh, mental health issues were oftentimes associated with um, demon possession or spirits Mm -hmm. or, you know, something of that nature. And then the other aspect of that is if you started to seek help from an outside source other than the church or the Lord, it was stated that your faith just wasn't strong enough. Um, We took all our burdens and cares to the Lord. And in which, you know, since this is my personal story, I mean, I do believe that with my whole heart. But I also believe that now we live in in a world where I can have my faith and I can have my doctor. Absolutely. Who, who knows more about this than I do. And then, so my faith, which, or prayer life, which could could be one of my coping mechanisms paired with, you know, staying in touch with, you know, my my PCP and my mental health care provider or my case manager. That's a setup for true growth and movement towards recovery. Correct. So, and that's, that's the piece that we didn't have back then. We had our faith. God knows we had our faith. A lot of times that was all we had was our faith and we had the church. But there was just so much more that was missing there. Right. What do you think would have happened? Just curious if you ever thought about what would happen to your uncle if he had had the resources that you help provide right now? I do believe that with a more structured setting and even being able to go to a day program, I do believe that he would have lived longer. I think that 
his diet, I can just remember him eating sweets, 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 because when he left for the day, there was no telling what he was going to eat when he went down to the pop shop. Right. But I do believe that, and still now, heck, I don't know what I'm going to eat when I go down to the pop shop. That's just, <laughs> that's just part of it. But, uh, you know, I do believe that that extra support for even for my other uncle who was caring for him at the time, I think, right. I think this would have just helped him helped us hang on to him just a little while longer right. yeah. um, because his his diabetes was uncontrolled. And a lot of times you see that along with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And smoking two packs of cigarettes today, uh, I mean, a day was not um, healthy either. No. So I just feel like we would have had him longer. Thank you for sharing that yeah. with us. Oh, my gosh. It's a pleasure. I love Uncle Joe. Even to this day. I love Uncle Joe. I know. That's yeah. so cute. I love I love that he does Michael Jackson. Like, oh, my god! I wish that I could have seen that. Oh, he was the best. And just quickly, with one more story. We, there was one time we were having a family reunion, and he had come into the house uh, to go to the restroom, and we were all sitting in the living room, and he went into the bathroom, and he was in there for a while, and he started flicking the lights on and off. And so everybody didn't know Uncle Joe, uh, but I did. And I just didn't say anything, but I just wanted to see how they were going to react. And so one by one, they just all started to get up and go outside because Uncle Joe was in the bathroom, like flicking the lights on and off (laughs) because he wanted to sit down on the couch and he wanted them to leave. (laughs) So he he went in the bathroom and started flicking the lights on and off so that we could sit down and watch TV. (laughs) I mean, he was he was awesome. He was great. Oh, that's so sweet. I absolutely love that story. Yeah. I bet you have a whole lot more. Oh, I do. Yeah. We don't have time for those today. Well, you know what? We do have a blog on Frontier Health Foundation's website, so I'll be happy to hear that story and maybe share a little bit more about him on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think we that? should. How about absolutely. it? I agree. We should. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Oh, really gosh, thank it. you. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. We're going to start off by recognizing Dr. Mamie Clark. She was born in 1917 and was the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate degree in psychology from Columbia University. Her groundbreaking research on the impact of race on child development helped end segregation, and she was influential in the desegregation efforts, including the Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. Thank you, Josh. Well, you're welcome. The next person we want to recognize is Dr. Paul Cornelly. So he was born in 1906, was a founder of the National Student Health Association in 1939, He was the president of the Physicians Forum in 1954 and the founder and first president of the District of Columbia Public Health Association in 1962. Dr. Cornelis, I think that's how you say it, focused his work on creating initiatives that reduce the health care disparities of underserved populations and especially those of African Americans. Dr. Solomon Carter Fuller was born in 1872 in Liberia. He completed his college degree and his doctorate of medicine in the United States. He graduated from the Boston School of Medicine and later became part of the faculty. His most important contribution was his significant contributions to the study of Alzheimer's disease and its impact on the brain. You know, there are so many important black American mental health pioneers that we could share with our listeners, and I wish that we could honor every single one of them today. So for those we haven't mentioned, we want to say thank you so much for your courage and tireless efforts. Absolutely. 
Yes. One last person I would lo- I would love to share with our listeners today is someone I had never heard of before. And luckily, our guest today mentioned her and I was so excited. And I did some research and I thought how fabulous her story was because it really partnered with what we're talking about today. And that is um, B.B. Moore Campbell. She is an American author, a journalist, a teacher, and a mental health advocate with nine books under her belt. Yeah, nine articles and essays focusing on shedding light on the mental health needs within the black community. Um, She really jumped out to me because she's also a mom, like, you know, like we are. So she was trying to care for her daughter who battled mental illness during a time, like you mentioned with your uncle, that the system just prevented her from getting the help she needed. So she also founded um, NAMI in Inglewood in a predominantly black neighborhood to create a space that was safe for black people to talk about mental health concerns. She even made her way to Washington, D.C., and two years after her death, on June 2nd, 2008, Congress formally recognized B.B. Moore Campbell, National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, to bring awareness to the unique struggles that underrepresented groups face in regard to mental illness in the United States. That was so great. And um, I found a quote from her that I believe truly represents um, what we were talking about today. So, LaTanya, will you share this quote from B.B. Campbell with our listeners, please? I would be glad to. The quote says, while everyone... All colors. Everyone is affected by stigma. No one wants to say, I'm not in control of my mind. No one wants to say, the person I love is not in control of their mind. But people of color really don't want to say it because we already feel stigmatized by virtue of skin color or eye shape or accent. And we don't want any more reasons for anyone to say, you're not good enough. Wow. Yeah. I got all teary-eyed when I read it. Yeah, that's that's I thought it would be perfect for you. Thank you, LaTanya. That's a wonderful quote. It really is. So I'm sitting here choked up from this quote. Choked me up the first time I saw it, the first time I read it. So I knew it was exactly what we needed to hear today. One of my favorite things that we do here is kind of go back and forth and do a question and answer. We're, we're We're at that moment. I wanted to go back to your story, if we could, and talk more about your uncle. And why mental um, health stigma within black communities is so important to address. So if you would, could you share with our listeners more about the mindset that prevents those in need of services from asking for help? Well, when thinking about your question initially, I really believe that the things or the thoughts or the mindsets that keep someone from reaching out for help, especially in the black community, would be fear, the, the overall stigma of mental health, and also shame. Yeah. And um, there's a mistrust in medicine. So I just think that we have to acknowledge that these are real issues in the black community and work through them. Yeah. So would you say this issue with mental health stigma is uh, more of a generational issue or a gender issue? I'm going to say both because habits are passed down and traditions are passed down from generation to generation. Um, And also, I think that it can be a gender issue because in the black community, black men are expected to be strong. Right. Yeah. They have to be strong and there's no room for emotion or weakness. Um, A lot of times you will hear, and I know specifically, if, you know, a little boy cried or a young man cried, they might receive a spanking or they might receive um, a discipline because... Black men, men, we don't cry. We're strong. You fail, you hurt yourself, get up. I mean, I know we all do that because, you know, you know that's something we do. But, I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Can you share with our listeners and us why mental health issues are considered so taboo within the black community? Okay. Um, I feel that it's important for us to realize and to know that being in the black community, I always tell people I hear my mother's voice um, in the back of my mind when I'm in certain certain situations. And a part of that is she used to always tell me, you were born with one strike against you. You, you're, you're black. So you can't do things um, the way other people do them because you have to be an example to your community. Um, and then to being a woman, I have to consider that as well. You know, that's another strike against me. But when you're raised in a black family, you all have to understand, we all have to understand our parents literally sat us down on the couch and they said, life is not fair. Life is not kind. And when you are black, you have to work harder than everyone else because life is not fair. And you're already, the world is already against you. And so these are attitudes or these are teachings that have been passed down. And so I don't care what anyone tells you. I, I being a black woman, this is in my mind. These were passed, these, this mentality was passed down to me. And my parents meant this in love because they, they legit knew that the world would not be kind to me. The world has not been kind to me. So they were right about that. So I think a part of mental um, health stigma and why it's so taboo in the black community is we can't afford to have another strike against us. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I just sometimes I'm so enlightened. That's that's, That's a hard truth. That's really hard to hear. Yeah. And I mean, it's and and it just is. So, I mean, and a lot of times we don't want to. We feel maybe that we shouldn't come out and say that, but these this is the way our parents raised us. Yeah. yeah. We're glad you're sharing. This is what we do here. We want yeah. we want our listeners to hear real truth. Yeah. You know, and vulnerability so that Absolutely. they can relate to that and they can say me too. Yeah. And then hopefully they can think, Wow, there's someone else speaking out, I'm not so scared anymore. Right. You know? So what would you say the most difficult barriers to seeking treatment within the black communities is? Well, I would say that stigma is going to play a role with that and the shame of it and the fear of medicine. Yeah. But also we don't want our, we don't want our faith to be challenged. We don't want to say, Oh, especially when you were raised up in a Christian home, you know, I, I don't want to feel like I'm wavering in my faith because I may need help from somebody other than the Lord. Right. You know, so I, it's just the overall stigma and the ugliness in the way that mental health has been portrayed across the world. So I really just feel that stigma in itself plays the biggest role in the black community and reaching out for help. What do you think about the survival mentality as well? One person quoted, and I don't remember who it was, but I remember reading about them saying, you know, we've already survived so much. Right. If I go ask for help, then it's like negates all of that. Right. Well, it could just, it could just represent weakness. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for someone who is struggling with hearing voices or struggling with substance abuse or wanting to understand more about, you know, why their depression seems so severe, why they have real high highs or have low lows, just wanting more information. It could just seem like if I, the moment I reach out for help, I'm no longer strong. Yeah. I'm defeated. Yeah. And that's real. It is real. The other part that I thought was really interesting, I'm going to go off a little bit, but I remember reading that 40% of white people will go and seek help. 
And then the other thing I read was, you know, there's like one in three African-Americans struggling with mental health actually will seek appropriate care and treatment. So that's one in three. And, I mean, we already know the population comparison is like 13%. (laughs) There's just not any feeling of safety asking for help. That's really sad. I think there's another issue, too. Um, There is a lack of uh, black mental health providers. We need black social workers. And I'm putting this plug out there. We need black social workers. We need black licensed social workers. We need you know, black case managers, because when someone that is black is looking to reach out for help, they are more likely to reach out to help for someone that looks like them. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, you know, 3.7% of the members in the American Psychiatric Association and 1.5% of members in the American Psychological Association are African-American. One and 1% and 3%. Like, that's nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we talked last week, you and I talked last week, about um, the importance of cultural competency, which is kind of where I think you're going with this, in mental health care and how research shows an extreme lacking, especially in this area of health care. So can you share with our listeners what we mean by cultural competency, which is kind of what you were touching on a little bit more in detail in the healthcare profession and why it's such an important aspect when treating minorities? Well, when you look at the person sitting in front of you, and you're looking at them, I think as mental health providers, we need to remember we're not just looking at the person. You're looking at their culture. You're looking at their religion. You're looking at their parents. You're looking at their histories. You're looking at spiritual. You're looking at mental health history. You're looking at physical. You're looking at everything that goes into making that person who they are. And a lot of times that goes beyond just what you see on the surface. So when you have this, have a person, especially a person of color sitting in front of you, you have to really, really be open to listen and to hear where their pain might be coming from. And a lot of times that may be hard to hear, Having cultural competency and being culturally competent means that you're trying to see what makes this person, what all goes into making this person who they are. Right. And especially when you're dealing in the black community, because the person sitting in front of you may be having a hard time finding out who even who they are. They may be struggling with the voices from their mother and father living inside of their head, which may say, you know, Black man, you have to be strong. You have to you have to do this. You can't cry. You can't, you know, you don't have time to feel that. You have right. to support your family. You have to so you have to look at all the pieces that go into making a person who they are. There is so much that needs to be said on this topic and I know that we could definitely talk, I mean seriously, for hours and hours without scratching the surface. I definitely wish we could, but we just have a small amount of time. I think we can do this again maybe sometime. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to talk again. So for me, it's been a lesson and an enlightening experience to talk about this topic and to get to know you even more than I already do, LaTanya. Conversations and stories are what we do here on this podcast. And for me, personally, it is a vital way to begin to see change around stigma within the black community. I am so emotional about this part. (laughs) I am so grateful for the internal diversity panel that was created as a way for the for our fellow Frontier Health employees. That it was just internal. It wasn't public. 
to discuss and share their stories. And if I start crying, I apologize because I can visually close my eyes and remember this. But I remember watching you on the night we had um, the vigil for George Floyd. And I am going to cry, sorry. And then we got to see you share about that. And I just sat there and I just remember sitting there and just being like, oh my goodness, to hear you just be able to have that opportunity, that platform. So, you know, I just sat there and listening to all of my fellow employees tell their stories. And, you know, it hurts me because I know them Mm -hmm. and I care about them. I just remember being angry and I didn't know how to talk about it. What I wanted to know is how has the Frontier Health Diversity Panel affected you personally? Wow. Well, I will tell you that my brother actually sat on the diversity panel and it I was as his sister, I was so proud to see our whole household representative mm-hmm. uh, represented there at that table. I felt like I was looking at my daddy sitting there at that table. Uh, but then also just how proud as an employee I was of of our company. Yeah. How proud I am of Frontier Health was saying, I know these conversations are going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Some of this stuff is going to be hard to hear. But what we're going to do is we're going to support each other and we're going to sit with this truth. Yeah. We're going to sit with it and we're going to contemplate on it. And we're going to use these stories and, and, and use these sharing of emotions, these opportunities for growth. And the thing that is so impressive is Black people are being heard right here in yeah. Frontier Health. Oh, yeah. And I mean, f- for that specific panel. Now, and then we'll he- hear all other types of vo- voices yeah. and other types of perspectives. So I feel like a part of learning and growing is hearing. Hearing yeah. someone's truth. Comparing it to maybe how you were raised or what your views are so that we can see where there needs to be growth personally and even as a company. Yeah. You know, I'm amazed by it. I think it's awesome. And not having to make a comment about it. No. Sometimes you can't. Just be quiet. You know, just listen. Yeah. Sometimes you can't. And how many other companies have done that? I am not. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have not heard of the big three. And, you know, there's like big Three, right. three big ones in our community. Right. I'm not hearing that they have created diversity panels. Well, I think that we should challenge them to do that because it's extremely helpful to have that voice. I mean, I'm not mentioning any names. No. But there, was a per- there was a person that, that told their story, and I just sat there. And I went back in time and, re- and remembered my tiny little house on Iris Street in Newport, Tennessee. And because the houses were really close together, and I remember he was sharing a story and how, you know, I've met him, and he's a fantastic human being, and I just think he's so great. And to hear him tell about his neighbors and coming home every day and something being in their yard or someone throwing something on their home, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, it hurt. It was – I just sat at my – I just, like, lots of tissue cried at my at my computer listening to his story, and I needed it. Right. I needed that. I needed to hear it because it was important. Right. And people just need the opportunity to hear people's stories. That's why we do this podcast. I mean, that's why we're here is to give people the opportunity to share their stories and for our listeners to hear the stories and hopefully share with more people and share with more people so right. that we can really make an impact, even if it's just one person at a time. Right. You know? So is there anything you would like to say or share with our listeners about – Maybe how to change their mindsets or 
impact mental health stigma within the black communities? To the black community, I would say I know what we have been taught, but I also know that times are changing. Medicine is changing. Information and knowledge is power. And I would just challenge us, wherever you are, family, wherever you are, to reach out if you are needing mental health support. A lot of times we can't view it as help. Maybe we need to say it's support. Maybe we just need to get more information. We are not defeated because we need something. Yeah. We're not defeated. We are strong. We yeah. are still conquerors. We are still everything that our parents told us that we were. But now we have more knowledge of how to have a better quality of life. And I would challenge those uh, young people, um, young black people, if you're looking for a career and you're maybe undecided, hey, listen, consider being a black social worker, consider being a black LCSW, consider being a black psychiatrist. You know, the black community needs you. Everybody needs you. We need each other. And we need, there's such a shortage of black mental health workers and you are needed. And so this is a great, um, I love my job. It's fantastic, isn't it? It just makes you feel like you are living life when you can lay down at night and know that you are helping someone. Yeah. So for the black community, just just try to push and know that, that there's there's more. And, and just because we might need something that maybe is contrary to what our parents have told us doesn't mean that, that we are defeated. I just think that we have to realize that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great way to make a good impact in your communities. Absolutely. Thank Join you. in it with me, guys. There's there's yeah. room. There's so much to do. We have such a work to do. So yeah. if you're undecided about your career path or you want to make a career change, it, it the work is the work is so rewarding. It really is. I haven't met anybody here that's like, oh, my gosh, this is the hardest. I hate it. Yeah. There's not one person. I mean. No, I've not met one. No, you have a bad day. You have a bad day just like any other job. But I've never loved what I've done more than I do now. And everybody, it's because of all of you all. I'm inspired by everybody here. It's fantastic. So thank you for your help. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time today. So every person that sits in your seat gets me asking them one last question. Okay. So my one last question is, if you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? Hmm. I think maybe I would have asked myself, what caused me to choose this career? Good question. What's your answer? Just not being satisfied with anything else. I'm, I'm a people person, and I like to get out there and build relationships. And I just feel like I didn't know life until I had a career change. And I actually decided here at Frontier Health to have a career change. Um, and a lot of growth happened here at Frontier. And so I'm just happy to be a part of the family, honestly. We're definitely happy that you're here. You should be, because, I mean, we are <laughs> awesome. 
I always love it when you come visit me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it makes my day. Oh, yay. We haven't seen her that much, though, with all the I COVID know. stuff going on. I now. know. I'm so sick of COVID. Me, too. One day. One day. Please wear your mask. Yeah. Please. Get your vaccines, guys, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, we're all sitting here. We've all had our vaccine. Yes. Yep. All of us have had it. I'm fine. I haven't grown any gills. I was fine. I didn't have any horns. Yep. Yeah. I did good. Nothing's happened to me. Yeah. You know. Josh looks good from what we can see. Yeah. 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 I'm the same crazy girl I've always been, so yeah. here I am. Everything's fine. But I, have, you know, you know, everybody believes in it, and that's fine. No, no judgment. But yeah, no judgment. I mean, I just highly, if you, if you, if you can get, it, if you have access to it, and you want to get it, go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. All right. Today has been. I know that Josh can say yes to this. Today has been a really big deal for me personally, and um, it was just such an honor. Aww. <laughs> to share this space with you as we've talked about such an important topic. Thank you guys for Thank having you. me. Oh, you're welcome. Latonya, I'm just thrilled that you've been you've been a part of our, our podcast. So, you know, for our listeners, we always want to say we really hope you enjoy this episode of Impact Stigma. And thank you so much for joining us. We know that without all of you, we wouldn't be here. So thank you for being such incredibly supportive fans. Yeah. So thank you guys for watching or listening. Not watching, but listening. <laughs> One of these days, we may get video in here. We might do a YouTube on this. And do some, do some lives. Oh, I've thought about it. I love being in front of the camera. Not me lately, but eventually. Eh, I don't mind it. I have a couple channels, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get there. But you guys, please be safe. And until next time, we'll we'll catch you next time. Wear your mask, guys, and don't <laughs> forget to make an impact. Stigma can make mental health problems worse, and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to Impact Stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.